They all told me to get a college football podcast, so I did. I'm John Harris, Football Takeover. It's time for Football with Friends. What's up, everybody? I am John Harris, and it's time for the Football with Friends podcast in partnership with the Texas Bowl right here at footballtakeover.com. I am so glad to be with you as we've got a few things happening on the podcast tonight. Now, my hope is in the future that I would do a little bit more recaps. I'm thinking about doing two podcasts per week, maybe a quick recap podcast, or maybe just recap through writing, which I already did. You can go check out the Saturday that was. Go check that out at footballtakeover.com. I had that for you on Sunday, and I'm going to try to get those up. And I was on the road. I was at Pittsburgh. So I wasn't able really to do a whole lot until the morning, and then I crushed while I was eating breakfast through uh, a number of notes. So go check that out the weekend that was from last week. But I figured I'll hit some of the things in the podcast early on. So we're going to, I think, do this each and every week. We're going to call it the two-minute drill, football with friends, right here on the podcast. And essentially, we're going to rifle through quick hitters, bang, 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 bang. We'll get to that in just a second. We've also got our predictions at the end of the show. And this week, we focus on the Big 12. Oh, gosh. The Big 12 last week, uh, how do I say this? Um, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times for some teams. But it was definitely the times. Does that make sense? I don't know if it makes sense or not. But another slate of Big 12 games this weekend. And we've been finding out a lot about these teams through the first couple of weeks. So... We, I want to hit the Big 12 teams near the end of the show and make sure that we get our Big 12 predictions straight up and against the spread. And if there are any over-unders I like, I will tell you because I'm all about helping the people. So we've got that. Oh, and how could I forget? Our esteemed guest for the podcast this week from the SEC Network, one of my favorite guys to just sit and talk with. And it doesn't matter what the topic is. We could be talking about music. We could talk about the 90s. We could be talking about football. We could be talking about LSU. We could talk about tailgating. We could talk about pretty much anything on the face of this earth. And actually, we probably could have done this entire podcast and not even mentioned the word football one time. With Peter Burns of the SEC Network, you talk about a, a hoss in this industry. Peter Burns is that he had been in radio in San Antonio and he got to uh he then moved to radio in Denver and then he was doing something with the the Denver Post I believe and his radio show and he had this whole kind of media conglomerate working in Denver before the SEC network came calling and said we like you man we want you to come here come to Charlotte and start this whole thing with us and Peter Burns has been there ever since and he is absolutely awesome and this I'm telling you, this podcast, you're, you're going to absolutely love everything about it. I hit him with not just some football things, but I hit him with some either-ors as well. So you definitely want to stay tuned for that. Because Alfonso Ribeiro, as Carlton in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, is brought up by the both of us. And we talked about him um, as if we were talking about K.J. Costello from Mississippi State. So yeah, you're going to get some of that on this podcast. So we got a little bit of everything for you. But let's kick it off with our two-minute drill. Okay, here's how this is going to work. 
I sat down before the podcast and I just I just ripped through as many notes as I possibly could. Just kind of one-liners, just kind of rattling through. And I thought, how many of these can I get in in two minutes? Well, let's find out. Let's do it right about now as my email dings. Don't really care. Not answering any emails right now because it's podcast time, people. And it's our two-minute drill. So here we go. Two-minute drill in three, two, one. Hit the clock. Let's go. It was awesome to see Mississippi State quarterback KJ Costello go crazy. With all he's been through, that was awesome. And how cool is it going to be to have the Pirate coaching the SEC? Oh, very. LSU is in a lot of trouble and no Coach O. That defense is not better than it was last year. Florida can air it out with its two Kyles, Pitts and Trask. Boy, they are fun to watch at quarterback and tight end, respectively. Ole Miss won't win much or stop anybody, but it's going to be a fun lane train to watch. Alabama, same old, same old. Pitt has some hosses. This week, Patrick Jones II stepped up with three sacks over Louisville. Oklahoma? Really? Oklahoma? I was ready to go nuts for my guy Spencer Rattler and then... Unbelievable. Kansas State, Chris Kleiman is a dude as a coach. To bounce back from Arkansas State's defeat and then come from 21 down in the second half to beat OU on the road for the second year in a row? My goodness, congratulations to Chris Kleiman to get Kansas State back on track. Auburn, it wasn't pretty, but they held on with a big fourth quarter against a pesky Kentucky team. SEC East teams are not going to like facing Eli Drinkowitz from Missouri in the near future. I think he is going to be the right fit. Texas, oh, Texas. Yeah, you got 63 points up on the board, but you beat Texas Tech on the same field by seven that Houston Baptist played Texas Tech to a two-point game. Yikes. Texas A&M is not the wrecking crew yet, but I like some of the guys they have up front. Michael Clements, Bobby Brown, and no, it's his prerogative to take care of you. Hmm, interesting. Don't look now. UTSA's 3-0. Love it. Georgia struggled, but maybe found a quarterback for now. Stetson Bennett, the fourth. And no, he doesn't work at a country club. And finally, dude, how good is Miami with Derek King at quarterback and Rhett Lashley calling the shots for the offense? Uh, very and that is your two-minute drill. That was kind of fun. I think I'm going to stick with that. That was fun. I had so much more written down, but man, two minutes goes absolutely way too fast. All right, before we get into our interview with our guest, I want to take a moment right here to talk about my friends at Lone Star Sports Entertainment, and they've got the Texas Bowl coming up. Now, the announcement of the game is going to be, I think, next week. We'll find it out. But the tradition of postseason college football continues deep in the heart of Houston with the 2020 Texas Bowl at NRG Stadium featuring the Big 12 versus the SEC. Sign up for the wait list to get exclusive pre-sale access, the latest event updates, ticket deals, and more at www.thetexasbowl.com. That's the thetexasbowl.com. Big thanks to my friends over at Lone Star Sports Entertainment and the Texas Bowl for getting on board with the Football with Friends podcast from Football Takeover. All right, let's get to our esteemed guest for the evening for this podcast, and that is our good friend, Peter Burns. Absolutely love catching up with him. He is as stand-up a guy as you're going to find. And like I said earlier, you could talk with him about anything whatsoever. But I wanted to start with how he got 
to where he is today in his job. And I think it's a great story that everybody at some point needs to listen to. Let's take a listen to my chat with Peter Burns of the SEC Network. Peter, I think one of the things that I love most of all, now I hate Twitter for the most part just because of a lot of the vitriol that comes. <laughs> but every so often, and I, I say every so often, it's, it's typically on the, on the anniversary of you starting your time at the SEC Network, you essentially tell the story about how you got there and just the hills and the valleys that you had to go through essentially to get to the SEC Network. Because I think a lot of people see you now and they go, Man, look how well Peter's doing, SEC Network. Man, it's so cool. But you tell the story of, man, being at the bottom and then getting, you know, to the top. And it's such an inspiring story, man. And I know we can't spend an hour on it, but how did you get to the SEC Network? And what were some of the things that you had to kind of go through to get there? No, and I appreciate that. And yeah, you know, a couple of years ago, I had one of these, you know, you know, Facebook memories comes up and, and it'll be like, hey, today, this day was happened in your life. And yeah. I remember sitting one day, I was, I anchored the SEC network and it showed uh, one of my status updates with, I, I had just gotten fired from a radio station in San Antonio, Texas, oh. and seven, ticket 760. And I was like, man, I was like, think about how life has changed from there. And and I just started thinking about like, hey, how all the hard times that I had, like, hey, I got I got fired from that job basically because, you know, honestly, I was I got a little too cocky and big for my britches, and and you know how that kind of humbled me. I would like to think to a certain extent, um, and it went to the point of you know after that I was really dedicated to you know landing another job, and even even before that, like I was married for five years, and one day I woke up, and, and, um, and you know, I, I went on a business trip and came home, and everything was empty in my house, and, and oh. you know, so it just, it goes to show you that every single thing that you think is the lowest part of your life, it, it made me, you know, it crafted me into, you know, the, now that I have the opportunity of a lifetime, because if, you know, if I don't show up to an empty house one day, I'm not so adamant about trying to get on television or getting on radio. And if I'm not as adamant after I got on radio about getting fired about, hey, trying to change who I am and, and being more appreciative of what I do have and the opportunities, I don't, it doesn't lend myself to having these opportunities to be on air right now. So I think yeah. it's, and I think all of us have had those moments now, John, where we look at living in the moment of this pandemic and realizing what we take for granted in life. Yep. And I, I don't ever do it. And so for me, every time you see me on air, whether it's for TV or, or hear me on radio, like I'm legitimately having the time of my life because I know how quickly it can, it could all go away. And I try to always be present. And, um, and so I think that's why I'm smiling. And, and now that we got college football being played for the most part, um, you know, I've been just Honestly, you know, I'm a diehard LSU fan. And even though yeah. they lost last weekend, I'm like, you know what? Uh, last year was great. And I'm not going to let it bother me because they're at least getting college football this year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I can imagine. Uh, and we're going we're to talk a little bit about what 2019 must have been like for you. But let's jump into that. Just the fact that the SEC is back. And Peter, for a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, college football was back, as I say in air quotes. But to me, it didn't feel like it was all the way back because the SEC hadn't played. Then the right. SEC plays last weekend, and it was like, okay, look, we don't have Justin Fields in Ohio State. Uh, we don't have the Pac-12 just yet. But it feels like football is truly back because the SEC got on the field. We saw a game at Death Valley. You know, we saw Alabama on the field against Missouri. 
You saw A&M right. struggle against Vanderbilt, but it was all back. So in your, your world, covering the SEC as you do for SEC Network, what was last weekend like for you to have college football back and mainly the, the conference you cover and focus on the SEC having it back? Yeah, it, it, it felt like, I mean, and, and let's just take it not from SEC standpoint, just it felt college football had a different punch behind it, right? It, it, it felt like more people were talking about it. It felt like more yeah. people were tweeting about it. And that's not a disrespect to the smaller conferences. It's just everybody was kind of waiting, hey, what's it going to look like when Georgia and LSU and Alabama and Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin, all the cast of characters we have here. Yep. And it did feel different. Um, you know, it's, it's been a weird season because, you know, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I'm talking about Tennessee football missing as many as 50 players, John, yeah. and not even to be able to scrimmage. Uh, sometimes coaches didn't even have enough players to practice and they'd have to call off practice for the day. So I think, you know, what we've come to realize is that it was such a hard road to get to this point to even have a season that, that all the coaches are trying to do their best to make sure everybody is safe and contact tracing and whatnot. Yeah. And honestly, so far, so good. You know, I mean, we've, we were having, we had seven games scheduled this week, one in, in the SEC and we got seven games and, um, and now, it was craziness, um, and we already saw a couple of chaotic uh, upsets, but I think we're going to be in for a whole year of upsets all, single, all season long now. Peter, what do you make – you mentioned being an LSU fan. We're going to get that in a little bit. But what do you make of Mike Leach, the Pirate, bringing his brand of football, which people forget that brand of football was actually in the SEC when Hal Mummy went to Kentucky when <laughs> Leach was his offensive coordinator. So it's been here right. before. People forget that. But – he yeah. brings that to Mississippi State. K.J. Costello throws for a million yards or so, it seemed. Kylan yep. Hill might end up turning into the next Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because he caught over 100 yards uh, in receiving and a long wheel route he caught for a touchdown. What's it been like to have Mike Leach in the conference even just this one week, and what impact have you seen him have on the conference? Well, always. I mean, I go back to even I had a tweet back in 2011 um, and I go, man, if I could if I could run for president, the first thing I would do is 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 run on the campaign of bringing Mike Leach to, as, to the head coaching job in the SEC, because I think it would yeah. be so much fun. And even even this week on my radio show, we talked we played so many of the clips from him and he's just different. And I think what what, what gets caught up in it and I think you know, your, your listeners will appreciate this is as much as we talk about the kind of silly press conferences we, he has and whatnot. I, I think people get lost in that and don't realize how good of a coach he is yeah. just X's and O's wise. And, you know, he brought in a brand new system um, to KJ Costello, a brand new Stanford transfer quarterback, Kylan Hill, who really one of the knock against him on the next level was, oh, I don't think he can really catch the ball out of the backfield. Well, Mike Leach goes, well, yeah, he can. He's just not running the right routes and, you know, we're not setting him up. And he was incredible. He catches for like 128 yards receiving. But um, I think he's just going to add an, a, a hard out. Already the SEC is a hard out when you play conference games. The SEC West is just a murderer's row. Yeah. But now you, you add the fact of him, he's, he's there, and Lane Kiffin over at Ole Miss. Yeah. There's, there's not a week where you're just going to show up and go, all right, just book it as a win. And I think, yeah. I, I think that's good. Um, overall and I think it's interesting this year too we're going to have 10 conference games normally we only have eight conference games you know just going to a conference only schedule it is it is good on good almost all season long yeah I don't even say it to A&M fans they're still in some sort of despair over adding Florida and Tennessee to the schedule this year which 
<laughs> didn't sit well with uh, some of my Aggie friends, but that's, I mean, that's, yes. Well, right. and, and, right. and, and that's, that's why I think they were upset too. It's like, Hey, week one, you're playing Vanderbilt at yeah. home, arguably yeah. I would consider preseason one of the quote unquote, quote unquote weak teams in the conference. And they barely got by Vanderbilt. So, yeah. I mean, you know, that's, this is a huge year for Jimbo Fisher out in college station. Cause this was the year, right? Like year one, Hey, you're learning year two, yep. we're going to play a bunch of young guys, but bam, we got to get this thing figured out if we're going to be a contender in year three. And sure enough, they, they sure as heck didn't look like a national title contender in week one. What do you think is a bigger overreaction to the way that Georgia played? Got a win, but it was against the Arkansas team that is thought to be not very good in Sam Pittman's first year. Or A&M getting a narrow win over Vanderbilt, and you kind of broke that down a little bit. But which one was probably more of a disappointing win, Georgia or A&M? Yeah, there's no doubt to me that it's Texas A&M because, I mean, I, I can go back and at least look at the second half of the Georgia game once yeah. they figured out that they were going to go with Stetson Bennett, the walk-on, four-string walk-on quarterback, that that they figured it out, right? They were going to play great defense, run the rock, and that's what they were able to do. And and at no point, you know, I, I was really surprised because I thought Kellen Mond, you know, under another year, senior quarterback, Jimbo's had success building Jameis Winston, other quarterbacks back in the day, hey, this is going to be his year to take off. And he just played extremely sloppy against a Vanderbilt defense that was traveling on the road and missing their star linebacker, Dimitri Moore. So, um, again, coaches at the end of the day, coaches love bad wins. And what I mean by that is there's enough enough tape, as you guys know, um, that, hey, listen, we won the game, but we need to work on this. And there's a whole heck of a lot that they need to work on, including ball control for, for, for Kellen Mond, who's trying to take that next step to play in the NFL next year. You know, too many bad wins get a coach fired eventually. But coaches <laughs> love those bad wins to step in, especially for good teams. They're supposed to be good. And so yeah. you walk in and say, hey, you guys think you're good? Let's watch the tape. And then it's like, oh, they get brought back down to reality. I've seen that. But I don't know that we can say it about Alabama, Peter. I, and I go back <sighs> to this. I've always thought this, and back in 2010, I felt like a genius because on my radio show, I talked about how Auburn was a team that could surprise people this year. I was like, if this guy Cam Newton is any good as a quarterback, (laughs) Auburn could be good. Why? Well, they've got a lot of returning starters on the defensive side, but their offensive line is almost all coming back together. When you look at Alabama, yes, there's Jalen Waddell. Yes, there's Devontae Smith. Mac Jones is the next A.J. McCarron, seemingly. They got all those guys back on the offensive line, Leatherwood, Neal, Dickerson. And to me, that's what's going to make Alabama good this year. What do you see in their performance against Missouri? Yeah, I, what I saw was I saw a team like that had their swagger back. And what I mean by yeah. that is last year, Alabama just didn't look right. And when Dylan Moses went down, their, their star linebacker, they just – they just – there was a ton of miscommunications left and right from that team, which is something you don't really traditionally see, especially defensively from a Nick Saban um, coach team. And so it just didn't quite look right. And when, when I saw them get off the bus and from kickoff, I said that just – that team looks different. It yep. looks dominant right from the get-go. And I think that's the one thing that I took from them. And they're really, frankly – the only team that I thought that looked elite in the SEC week one. I thought there were some good – you know, I I thought Florida was solid. Um, Obviously, Mike Leach and what they were able to do. But all those teams in their victories had some question marks, but not Alabama, who hit the ground absolutely running. And 
it appears to be they're upset from last year, and that's that's the last thing you want to do is have an upset, focused, talented team like Nick Saban. They they could put up some monster monster results this year. Okay, some bad news and then some good news. We'll do the bad news first. Uh oh. LSU twenty twenty. Does it? It's got to get better. I know, and I know facing a team like Mike or a team like Mississippi State with Mike Leach with KJ Costello, it's yep. all new to us basically. But there have been so many. Um, holes that LSU had to fill. Where does 2020 LSU go, Peter? Well, I mean, 2020 LSU now, at, at first, you know, I never expected them to be a national title contender. I, I, I didn't. I, I thought just with other – with Florida, Georgia, and Alabama coming back and what they had, I didn't think that it was reasonable to think that they were going to go back-to-back. However, with that being said, I didn't think it was going to be a re, you know, a, a rebuild. I just thought it might be a reload so they could right. get closer to Alabama's level. I, I, that changes my mind now. I mean, again, I, I think now in a weird way I can reverse engineer this if you're an LSU fan and go, hey, this might be a situation where it's a good thing, right? Now you're going to play a bunch of young guys. They're going to have to step up. And in a year where you probably weren't going to compete for a title and it's kind of a free year of eligibility – you're able to run a bunch, a ton of young guys out there and get ready for 2021 and 2022. I mean, I, I, I likened it on my radio show this morning that if you're LSU, you know, every game's going to count, but the mentality as a fan is that this is, this is going to be a 10-game spring game season where you're just playing everybody as much as you can, try to yep. figure out what you have. And, and, and get prepared for next year. So, you know, it, it, this is – honestly, I never would have thought we'd say this, John, you know, 48 hours ago if we're talking about this. This, um, this game against Vanderbilt is actually pretty big because Vanderbilt actually didn't look, didn't look terrible. No. Um, because I like their freshman quarterback, Ken Seals. Yeah. And this is not a game to where I think LSU can, can kind of just, oh, show up like they have been able to do against Vanderbilt teams in the past. Yeah, and watching that Vanderbilt squad against AM, you know, they got a couple of guys offensively that are good enough, and Seals comes in and gives them enough at the quarterback position. And defensively, they're just smart and they play very well and they play a Derek Mason style of football. So then I go to the good news, and that is you had last year, you had 2019. Oh, as you're going going (laughs) through that, as you're going through that season, Peter, are are you realizing? how special that is are you realizing are you kind of appreciating it every single week or is it okay we just beat this team now we got this team coming up did you kind of understand as you were going through it like what kind of season this actually was yeah I mean I think listen when when they beat when they beat Alabama it was over it was done like they were winning the title it was just a matter of who was going to be and who they were going to play and who they were going to beat in the way like I felt that and and really you know, after after I saw what they did, um, you know, frankly, to, to Texas and that big game that they won on the road, and that was a close game, I thought, all right, there's a difference. Traditionally, there is a, hey, you know, let's play it safe. But when they went for it and, and never even tried to play safe on the road with, um, with Joe Burrow late in that game, I'm like, this is a different mentality. And when they beat Alabama, it was – it, you knew it was going to be a championship. I'll v- never forget the, the, the feeling I had walking into the Superdome right before the game, about an hour and a half before the game. The fans are going crazy. The band's playing. And I turned to I, – I, I don't think it was Feinbaum, but it was might have been Dennis Dodd or somebody else. Um, mm-hmm. And I said, this isn't a game. This is a coronation. Like, this yeah. is already a foregone conclusion they win this game. So, I, 
I, I think LSU fans, that's how I look at this year because I am one of those LSU fans of going, if you would have told me last year, I'll give you 15 or no, you don't lose, you win a national title in, in New Orleans, and you have the Heisman Trophy winner, will you take a off year? I'd be like, I'll take two off years. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's a matter of yeah. managing expectations, and, um, and that's – I got it managed pretty well, to say the least. So Okay. Rank, rank these three LSU legends, Shaq, Pistol Pete, Joey B. Uh, I, I go Pistol Pete Maravich one just because, I mean, he's just a legend. I mean, yeah. and I grew up being a basketball fan all my life. My parents had classes with him in Baton Rouge, and they just tell me the stories were out of control yeah. uh, about how good he was. <laughs> then I probably – you know what? I'm going to go Joe Burrow. Yeah. Um, just because of the season last year and football means so much. And, and it's so funny. I think maybe because I'm a San Antonio Spurs fan um, back in the day when I used to live in San Antonio that yeah. I just kind of hated Shaq for a little bit. <laughs> um, I still, you know, because how good they were with the Lakers and yeah. the Heat and everybody, I still go and say Shaq ends up being, being number three on my list. Okay. All right. That, I, I, I can go with And that. they didn't win that much. Frankly, they didn't win that much with Shaq. They had Shaq, no. Chris Jackson – uh, in fact, uh, Chris Jackson, my move I do roof is, I think, a bigger LSU legend, frankly, yeah. than Shaq was, believe it or not. Peter, I remember distinctly a good friend of ours, Lance Zerline, 1987, oh, yeah. Jackson's freshman year. And it's probably, I don't know, midway through the first half against Florida and Dwayne Shinsis with the mullet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Livingston Chapman. I mean, they had a bunch of dudes. And this – Little point guard is coming down, just serving up everybody. And I went to the phone because we didn't have cell phones. And I went to the regular phone and I called his house and I said, are you watching this? Yeah. And we both, we essentially watched the rest of it together. We became huge Chris Jackson fans. It was just incredible to watch him on a basketball court. I wish somebody like that would, I wish we could have somebody like that in college basketball now. I mean, to well, have, I, I mean, we got it for three years. He was great. Yeah, and that's before, you know, now, you A, you probably wouldn't see him have played college basketball yeah. at this point. You know, it would have gone, you know, somewhere else. Uh, but even if he played his year, it definitely would have been a, a one-and-done guy. Yep. Uh, and I think, I think it was kind of a precursor. I think now NBA fans saw what they see in Seth, you know, in Seth Curry. Yeah. And they're like, oh, man, I wonder what, you know, what was this like? And I'm like, that, that was Chris Jackson, man. That was man. Chris I mean, Jackson. Putting those up type numbers and to think, even before him at LSU, they had Pistol Pete as a pretty good one-two punch uh, yeah. of, of stars in that, on that program. It's amazing. All right. I'm going to finish. Well, I'm going to give you one to chew on because I think I'm going to do this later in a podcast. You don't have to answer yeah. this one, but I thought about this a lot. What if Joe Burrow didn't transfer to LSU? I thought about, a, I thought about that a lot. Like, hmm, there's a butterfly That's... effect in there that somehow I, I, I don't – I don't know where it goes, but it would have been very interesting to see had Joe stayed at Ohio State and he was the guy if Justin Fields would have ended up at Ohio State and kind of this whole, like, does Justin Fields then go to LSU? And then what does he, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, again, there was, I know, I know, I know LSU had relationship, you know, had a good relationship with Justin Fields and, and his father because I know that they had, had recruited him at some point and, yeah. and had kept in touch. So, yeah, I mean, it's the butterfly effect, but I even go back you know, and think of, of, of going back to LSU. And I know this is not an LSU podcast, but we kind of yeah. went down that rabbit hole. Um, but for LSU, remember a couple of years ago, they had a kid named Brian Perilou, yep. who was incredible. Mm -hmm. And when Perilou got kicked off the team, that's where LSU's quarterback issues started. 
because then they had to play play Jared Lee and then Jordan Jefferson under Les Miles, and it never quite worked. And so I looked at it, and I'm like, you know, the butterfly effect of of things in college football, and and I'll 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 bring it to real world and in a bigger picture for week one here in college football is think about Elijah Moore. And if you don't know who Elijah Moore is, he's a he's the wide receiver for Ole Miss. Um, caught 10 passes uh, for 227 yards in that first game against Florida. And so think about this, not because of what he did that week, but in the egg bowl last year, (laughs) he had that, he had that celebration where he peed like a dog. Right. I don't know if you remember that. I I joined the touchdown. Well, they get penalized. They miss the extra point. Ultimately what happens, they lose that game. They don't go to a bowl. They fire Matt Luke, the head coach. So then Ole Miss hires Lane Kiffin. And then Mississippi State instead goes to a bowl game. They lose that bowl game. Now that Lane Kiffin's been hired, Mississippi State figures, well, we need to hire somebody else. So they hire Mike Leach. And sure enough, Mike Leach has college football biggest upset in week one. And none of that happens unless Elijah Moore hikes his leg like a (laughs) dog in the middle of a game a year prior. So, I mean, you know, we're – the, the butterfly effect of college football is it, always amazing. It's amazing. All right, man. I got a few either ors. This is a very easy concept. You can dive in as much as you want or just give me a, a quick answer. It's up to you. I, I, I started this with Sean Pendergast back on our radio show, I think back in 2010. And so whenever we see each other, we like drop just an either or. And it can, <laughs> be, on, it can be on anything. So here we go. Number one, you get to invite one Tiger over for dinner, Tyron Matthew or Joe Burrow? Uh, I, I, now I do, I do like the honey badger. I'm taking Burrow. Burrow's just a cool cat, man. Yeah. I mean, he's just, even when I interviewed him right after the national championship with the, you know, he just, he just has that kind of Joe Namath appeal. And I yeah. feel like everybody likes, he was one of those cocky, but are you know confident but not necessarily cocky guys that just it yeah. just worked and so I'm, I'm going Joey B I, I love Tyron but I would love to sit with Joe because the one thing that always struck me with Joe was there was this self-confidence that he was going to get the job done but yet he's still the same guy you could sit next to on the bus and you could talk about what's on Twitter and it would be the same he'd be the same guy and just this down-to-earth sort of guy and, and for people that don't know it that's what Tyron is Tyron's kind of a off the field. He's a little quiet. He doesn't say a whole lot. Yeah. But on the field, man, he he roars. Okay, best SEC quarterback either Florida's Kyle Trask or any other SEC quarterback. Uh, I'm going to take Trask, and and why I'm going to take Trask is Trask reminds me. He has a little bit of a burrow. I mean, I think what Florida has done week one reminds me of what LSU did. Is the fact that they they hummed that offense together and. I really like Trask. I mean, Trask, he was patient. Um, he, he, you know, didn't transfer out when he could have, waited, bided his time, and I think it was a fantastic start for him. So I really like the way Trask – and I, I'm watching that game with Chris Doring, who's a former Florida yeah. wide receiver, great, yeah. played in the league for a while. And, he, you know, when they those guys watch it, well, I'm able to watch film a whole lot different. And he's showing me Trask is not only making the right choices, but – it was dealer's choice for him. Yep. Like he, he had three guys open at certain points that, that, you know, he just made the right choice every single time, which impressed me. So I, I'm going to go with Kyle Trask right now. Yeah, I think I would. I thought about Costello, but I, I think I would say Trask. And ironically, Kyle Trask never started a high school football game, which just blows my mind to think about right here in Houston, which 
can happen that you can have a guy maybe be a backup and then maybe then maybe plays a different position. No, he was a backup right. quarterback to Derek King, who's at Miami. Unbelievable quarterback room. Okay. Yeah. I'm more intrigued with your answers to the next few. All right. Either NBA Jam or Golden Tee. Uh, I'm an NBA Jam. He's heating up. And I like Golden Tee to a certain extent, but NBA Jam, man, was just unbelievable. Um, and, you know, and just to think of some of the teams that they had back in the day yeah. on, on that game. And I was walking through like a Costco a couple of days ago and they have like a tournament edition now that you can purchase. And I'm like, well, this is, I like, I don't need this in my life. Now that I got two kids, I could just see myself like not hearing the kids in the background. Like they're yeah. yelling because I'm like, no, I got a really good game right now going on on NBA jam. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm pro NBA jam for life. Stop it kids. We're on fire. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. yeah. Seriously. He's heating up. Oh, so good. Either. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or Seinfeld? Uh, yeah, come on. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, right? right? I mean, that was such a good show. I mean, it's, Seinfeld's good. Seinfeld's you can re You probably can watch rewatch Seinfeld's more right yeah. now than you can actually Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But, I mean, there was just something about it. Because, you know, I, I'm, as a rap and hip-hop fan, shockingly <laughs> enough, uh, like Lance is too, um, just I always always thought it was so cool, and then you know Carlton being such a dork. I mean, all yeah. all of it. It just it just actually worked. So the we're coming back from Pittsburgh the other day, and I got my computer open, just writing some notes from the game. And on the plane, I just I'm looking for something to just kind of occupy my time. And they had five episodes of French Pris Fresh Prince of Bel Air, <laughs> and don't think I didn't watch all five. All the way home, I, I had to. Does it hold? Does it hold up over time? Like, not really. I, I, yeah, not really. But I think that's what made it great. I mean, some of the fashion of the early '90s was just. Uh, it's, oh. But it was funny. It's, it's I still nuts. found it funny. I still found it hilarious. I thought Will Smith was tremendous in it. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Alfonso Ribeiro as Carlton is is dead on. Okay, let's go to food. Either. Now, you lived in San Antonio, so I pulled this one from San Antonio, and I know you're an LSU fan. Either puffy tacos or crawfish etouffee. Uh, I mean, it's crawfish etouffee, and that's not a fair fight, um, okay. you know, between those two. But uh, I will say this. The, the one thing that I love living in San Antonio is, you know, you go breakfast tacos. In any plate part of town you can yeah. go, you would get good food. You know, like in some cities, you're like, all right, well, you need to go to this part, and, and this is where you get good pizza, and this part of town is where you get that. Like in San Antonio, it didn't matter. You could pull up in any neighborhood, and it was just incredible. And, and that's one of the things, the reason why I just absolutely love my time in San Antonio. It's like it was a great city, and the yeah. food was unbelievable. My son and I went there for a weekend, and he wanted to move. Like, we, he didn't want to drive back to Houston. I mean, we did the same thing. We went found taco <laughs> spots. We found all these different places. He absolutely loved it. All right, last one. I think I know the answer to this, but kind of tells me kind of ref where you are from a refinement standpoint. Uh-oh. Either tailgate at LSU or free dinner at a place like Nobu, fine dining. Uh, you know what? And that's the reason why I know I married well is my wife, who's a diehard Alabama fan and yeah. loves sushi. And loves Nobu. We've been to a couple of times. Uh, yeah. She would say, I'll still do a tailgate at LSU. Um, wow. And that's when I knew I married well, uh, <laughs> to say the least. So, man, there's just something. I think that's why I'm so happy that football is back, whether it be like yeah. with Texans or whether it be 
Um, college football is like there's like, I feel like we've lost a little bit of that camaraderie over these last six months of, yeah. of, you know, being stuck in the house. And even if it's just the fact of being able to watch a game and text with our buddies or call or say, Hey, you're watching this. When we didn't have that, I, I think I failed to realize how big a part of that is part of just the, our society. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, tailgating eventually is going to get back to that point where we can do it, but Man, um, I'll take baby steps right now. And the fact that we're having college football being played, NFL football is is damn good for, for our soul right now. Yep. Amen, brother. Amen. Peter, you're the absolute best, my friend. Thank you for joining me. I uh, can't wait to do it again. Uh, I'll get some either ors next time. Have you on, and, we'll, uh, and I'll put you pedal to the metal, all right? All right, man. Sounds good. <laughs> See you, buddy. Bye. See you, bud. Oh, don't come stealing my game now, Peter. Either ors are pretty good, though. I, I thought I, I felt like I had some good ones. Felt like I had some really, really good ones. Uh, there's no doubt, and I and I will. You know what? I'm gonna add some more either ors as we go through uh, this podcast that we're trying to build, and hopefully you guys will get on board. Whether you're getting it through iTunes, whether you're going to FootballTakeover.com, either way, I I appreciate you guys listening. And I'm gonna take a minute right there to tell you about FootballTakeover.com. Go to the site. I've got everything from a college football perspective that hopefully you enjoy. There's one thing I'd like to be able to do, but I am not really able to do it right now. Let's do some more video breakdowns of players, of schemes, of things. That would be really fun. That's a pipe dream. That's something I I hope to get to because that's going to bring a lot more eyeballs. People want to see how teams are doing some things. Um, Kind of diving into my coaching background a little bit, but go check out footballtakeover.com. All right. The Big 12 this week is where we are putting our predictions for the week. Big 12, I do this straight up and against the spread. I do it every week. Last week, I picked the SEC, and I'm pretty sure that I rocked it. I was 100% for every single game. So you can just just trust me on that. Like, trust me. Trust me. I got it absolutely 100% right. That was the SEC, though. This is the Big 12. So let's dive in. All right, six games, obviously, because there are 12 teams in the Big 12, right? That's the math, right? No, wrong. Big 12, 10 teams, five games each. We are now into our conference-only aspect, and we're going to kick it off at West Virginia. And this one's going to be a tricky one. West Virginia struggled to put points up on the board last week against Oklahoma State in Stillwater. But I think... That's a really, really good defense at Oklahoma State that people need to tune into. Amen, Abangaminga, uh, Colby Harville-Peel, Rodarius Williams outside, Trace Ford. They've got some dudes that can play. Malcolm Rodriguez as linebacker in the middle. That defense might be one of the better defenses nobody's talking about in the country. And they held West Virginia in check. I don't know if Baylor's defense is that good yet. I think it'll get there. Gave up 24 to Kansas. That does worry me a little bit. Baylor's favored by three on the road. I'm rolling with the hometown Mountaineers on this one. Baylor's going on the road for the first time this year. That's a challenge, having done it with the Texans. That's a little tougher than it sounds. I'm going with West Virginia with a mild upset to win and obviously cover that three. Baylor's favorite. I'm going with West Virginia at home. TCU. Goes to Texas. Last week, Max Duggan came into the game, brought TCU back as far as he could. After being sick, after being out, not really having enough practice time, 
He stepped up and was phenomenal in the second half against Iowa State. Too little, too late as TCU lost that game to Iowa State. They go on the road to Austin. We mentioned Texas earlier. Texas hangs on. 63, I don't even hang on. Is that the right word? They scored three touchdowns in three drives. Really, it took about the span of 20 minutes, in, just in full time, to get three touchdowns up on the board. Sam Ellinger, I thought, was outstanding. And I think a lot higher Sam Ellinger than a lot of people do. And I don't know why I find it myself kind of gravitating towards him. And I think people think of him as just a running, oh, he does his run. Now, he's a little bit more than that. 11 and a half point favorite at home. I'm not sure that I trust Texas all the way yet, but I do trust Texas to win the game. TCU, TCU will not upset them, but TCU will get inside that 11 and a half. So book Texas with the win, but go get your money on TCU to get inside that 11 and a half. Oklahoma State goes to Kansas. Yes, vaunted Lawrence, Kansas. Well, not really. I mean, the first game of the year, Coastal Carolina went up to Kansas and I think had a 28-3 lead at half. So I don't think Oklahoma State's going to struggle much. Les Miles, uh, struggling. They did put up 24 against Baylor, but they allowed Baylor to score 47. Oklahoma State's offense has really not gotten on track, but one of the little side stories, if you will, is the Oklahoma State running game has become more than Chuba Hubbard. It's become Chuba Hubbard and his complimentary back, L.D. Brown. L.D. Brown and Chuba Hubbard together are now becoming a one-two combination, and I think that's going to knock out Kansas. Oklahoma State's favored by 21.5. I think it'll be well beyond that. Oklahoma State on the road for the win, for the cover. Cowboys go to 3-0. and Texas Tech and Kansas State. I'm back and forth on this one. Texas Tech put up 56 but could not close the door on the Longhorns at home, and it cost them a huge Big 12 win. Kansas State, on the other hand, lost to Arkansas State to start the year, falls behind Oklahoma. Oklahoma is kind of lulled to sleep in some sense, and Skylar Thompson brings the Wildcats back. They beat Oklahoma 38-35. Both teams 1-1 one one on the year. Game in Manhattan, and K-State's a two-point favorite. I like K-State in this one. Texas Tech has not gone on the road yet. I think, as I said earlier, those first game on the road games for these teams this year, much different than in other years. I'm going Kansas State to win, cover that two. In college football, two points is about a pick them. So let's go with Kansas State to win and cover, taking Skyler Thompson and Mr. Barnes in the backfield. I'm telling you, guys, what, 5-5? Five, five? If you haven't seen this guy, you are absolutely missing out on one of the best players in the country, Deuce Vaughn. He's unbelievable. He's lucky if he's 5'5". It reminds me a little bit of Jaquiz Rogers, who played at Oregon State and was just phenomenal back in the day. So, either way, Kansas State to win. Deuce Vaughn, Skylar Thompson, get them there. And then in the nightcap, your 6.30 Central Time game, Oklahoma goes to Iowa State. Now, this game last year was almost Oklahoma-Kansas State this year. It was almost to a T. Iowa State was down big, fought back, scored late, down one, chose to go for two, missed it, lost that game 42-41. This game is now in Ames. Iowa State got back on track after the loss to Louisiana. Oklahoma coming off that K-State loss. I don't love 
the Sooners in this one by the spread. Spread seven. And Iowa State started finding a little something last week offensively. Brees Hall, amazing. 155 yards, I believe it was. Couldn't be stopped. I think Oklahoma will have, uh, will have some trouble stopping him. And I feel like I want to go to Iowa State, but I'm not going to pull the trigger yet. I'm going Oklahoma to win. Iowa State to get inside the seven. This feels like a three to seven sort of game. I'll ride the Cyclones at home under the seven. Oklahoma gets the win, though. Oklahoma goes to two and one. Iowa State will fight valiantly. And the over in this game, what's the over under in this game? 61 and a half. Over 35 31 gets you there. And they were 42 41 last year. And there's no Kenneth Murray on the field. So from that perspective, go over the 61 and a half. Give Oklahoma the win. Iowa State, the cover. All right. Got a big thanks to everyone joining me on the podcast this week. Got to thank everybody that's been a part of this. Uh, to my girl, Carly, who's done a tremendous job marketing and promoing the show. Absolutely phenomenal stuff. And she just is, she's got to be one of the hardest workers I've been around. And she's really going to hopefully help all this just fly. And she helps with the Texas Bowl. Got to thank Fletch. Got to thank everybody at footballtakeover.com, which is essentially me and my wife, who does everything on the site. So appreciate that. Most of all, I thank you guys for listening. Because I would just be talking into a wall, really, if you guys weren't listening. So thank you very much. We will see you next time. And thank you for listening to the Football with Friends podcast in partnership with the Texas Bowl. Have a great weekend, everybody.